Hello. How's everybody? I want to talk about today, and right here right now, dig out your little index cards. We're going to use them in a minute, so the ones I passed out, and if you don't have one, if you weren't here, I think I have some more. Yeah, so if you weren't here, I'm going to set them right here, and it won't bother you at it won't bother me at all for you to come get them. It might bother you. But it's going to bother you a whole lot more if you don't have one. <clears throat> we have a choice. We have a choice. All right. Now, if you're too embarrassed, here's some people brave enough. They'll bring you one. Sammy, take those back there. Anybody has their hand up, we'll give them to them. Jamil. So hold your hand up if you want one. All right, there's a few people. Now, I know Adam's got good legs. I'm not sure what he's doing back there, just holding his hand up. I talked a little bit the other day about my dad. And my dad grew up in a generation. I used to wonder why he wouldn't talk about problems and feelings. And then I finally found out during the Depression, uh, during the, the, the years of World War I and World War II and the Depression, Dust Bowl, back in... I think it was around 1918, we had that flu epidemic. They actually thought the flu epidemic, it was so bad in places that they just lined caskets up in the streets and the fellow would come by at night and pick up the dead bodies. To this day, they don't even know what that flu epidemic was. You could have the symptoms in the morning and be dead by dark. Nobody knows what it was. World War I and World War II. the depression. Everybody had problems. And everybody had so many problems that it was just sort of a, a courtesy thing not to pour yours out to them. And it became a way of life. That you didn't talk about your problems, you, you dealt with them. And it passed on. And, and, but it wasn't explained. And I didn't understand. And eventually I found out. And I understood. Today is a day we... Everybody talks about their problems. Well, I want to give you a little story. Brother Charles Walker, most of you know him, at home the other day. He's 81, I believe. And he went out to the corral the other day. They were getting ready to gather their cattle, and a horse kicked him, broke his leg. I mean, clean in two, right below the knee. Well, three days later, it was his turn to speak, and we were thinking, well, I wonder who he's going to call to replace him. He didn't. He got up there on his crutches, and he gave his lecture. Didn't bother him. He's out there bossing the gathering in his four-wheeler, and they asked him, said, when's the doctor going to let you ride? He said, oh, I could ride right now, but he told me I better not. And he would. 
It didn't even slow him down. He wasn't griping about it. He wasn't complaining, oh, whoa, was me, I broke my leg. He just got out there and told Foy and Troy and different ones, now you do this and you do that, you know, and, and oversaw the gathering. Gave his lecture, still did his part. We can learn from that. You young people, you can learn from that. We need to discuss problems. I'm not talking about that. But there's times when you learn things through problems. The Lord disciplines those he loves, scourges every son whom he receives. That's all part of it. And sometimes we do need to talk, yes. But sometimes we need to just go on and pour out our feelings to the Lord and not our brothers and sisters or not our husband or not our wife. So work on not grumbling and complaining, but look at the positive side of it. One of the brothers asked Charles, said, did you kick that horse back? And he said, not yet. <laughs> We've been talking about fathers and sons, and tomorrow, tomorrow or Friday, we're going to have a class on mothers and daughters. But intermingled in here, we want to bring in our extended family even more. Our ecclesial family. And this is where your cards are going to come in here in just a minute. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 26, and I want to start with verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Remember when we started our, our class out, God is the focal point of our life. We're here for God. We're here for God's glory. That's the purpose. That's God's manifestation. We are here for Him. We're His children. He's training us. He's training us through ecclesias. He's training us through marriage. And of course, first of all, and last of all, and interweave through all, He's training us through His Word. We have teachers down there teaching the young people and rooms scattered all over. We have people out here on the ground sitting on benches between classes passing on the Word of God. We have people on the lunch line. When we go home, we'll have people at the farm, people at, the, at their work passing on the Word of God. Several, I know all of you have probably talked about this at one time or other, but Try to imagine being some of the people in the world who do not believe in God. Imagine, if somebody could convince you that there was no God, how would you feel? There'd be no purpose. There would be nothing. I, I can't imagine, I don't know how those people even make it. 
you don't believe there is a God and a purpose and a goal and a plan for every one of us. I want to talk to you a little bit about what my dad did do for me as a young man. He taught me how to break a young horse. He taught me how to train him. And one of the first things I learned was not to be afraid of him. He said, a horse, the minute you get on him, if you're afraid of him, he knows it, he senses it. And he taught me how to be in control of him, but he taught me gentleness as well. Gentle discipline, that's, that's one of the best ways. There's two really schools of thought on, on breaking a horse. And one of them is that you take these and you take these spurs and you take this whip and they take the word break literally and they break his spirit and the horse serves you out of fear. But let me tell you something about that horse that serves you out of fear. I'm going to give you a, a little story. Some of you probably have heard this story. My kids have heard it a thousand times. We were, had a little horse, a little black horse that I grew up with, weighed about 800 pounds. We called him Old Bill. And we were packing iron posts. He was one of the gentler horses. And so we made this, Dad had made up the special pack saddle. And a pack saddle has a brace on the top like this. Normally you carry things in what you call panniers on the side. You pack salt or, and we, in, that, in the high country up there, there was a real lack of salt. We had to keep out salt continually for the cattle's diet. And we put it up on the hill away from the water so they wouldn't concentrate it and they'd go from the water up to the salt. And, it, and, and in the salt, there was mineral as well that they needed trace minerals. But also we built fences. Fences were boundaries to keep the cattle in our permit, our allotment. We had the high country was a forest service allotment. We had the grazing rights. It became a wilderness area later and is to this day. How does, how does that fit in with what I'm talking about? Well, people who are leaders in ecclesias, God has given us boundaries. And one of the things we do in our family with our children, we give them boundaries. When they're small, we'll build a small fence outside out of chain link or wood or something like that so that we can put them in there and and if we don't watch them just there's a few seconds we need to go we know they're going to run away you know so we give them a little tight boundary a close one and as they grow up we start enlarging the boundaries well on this ranch we we built these fences and it kept the cattle in there was also places that we'd fence them out of the real rough deep canyons that they'd get off in, and there'd be a little bit of water down there, and it'd be so rough getting off in there that they wouldn't come out and they'd starve. Also, other, other, we would divide the pastures up, because in certain pastures there was poison weeds. And at the time of the poison weeds, uh, there was larkspur, there was loco weeds, which really was more of a problem with the horses. It was a, somewhat of a narcotic. Uh, does that sound familiar in our society today? 
I had one horse get loco weed, and uh, you'd be riding him along, and he had hallucinations. And, and we'd just be riding along like this, and all at once you'd think a grizzly bear came from that direction. He'd snort and run sideways and just take off. And uh, ask an old, I asked my dad, and he said, well, what we need to do with him is just, I learned years ago, you just put him out in the pasture for a year. We kept him out of the loco weed. It's addictive, and they keep eating. So we put him in another pasture, one of those fenced-off areas away from the loco weed. How do, how do we apply that to our children? Well, keep them away from drugs. Talk to them about it. There were three different men in different generations in my family that were alcoholics. Alcohol ruined one of the men's lives, very young in his life, and, and affected the other two men's lives. So there's boundaries. And in training a young horse, back to Bill, we were packing these posts up to build these fences and the Forest Service provided them and we put them up on this pack saddle up on top well I didn't like the idea too well but we'd already done it on a little mare named Skeeter and she was she was really gentle and and and, and carried her head low and it worked fine but that day we put them on old Bill and I was riding the two horses we were riding were younger horses and and much more fractious and and were not capable of doing that kind of work so we rode them and we packed on Bill. Well, we were, as we were going up Argentina Trail, it was a real steep, rough little trail, and there was bluffs off to the side. And he jumped the log, and when he did, as he jumped this log, he, his head came up, and the teepos hit him right on top of the head. Well, that scared him, and he reared up, and off the bluff he went, upside down, sliding down the mountain. And so we ran down there, and, and Dad said, oh, I got there first. He said, talk to him easy, talk to him easy. Well, he was upside down. The post of this one, there was another bluff right below him. But he hadn't got there yet. His legs are up the hill. So I got down there, started petting his head, and talking to him, just relaxed, and laid there with a whole load on him. Had he started fighting and struggling, he would have gone on off, and the next one probably would have killed him. Dad got there and got right in his legs, come from the upper side, and got right where he could kick him, and undid the cinches, and eased the load down the hill. And we, he took a rope, we tied his legs, turned him over, and then he could get up on that steep hillside. He was fine. But this horse trusted us. This horse was not broke, was not whip broke. He trusted us. Now what would happen in that situation if a horse, if you had beaten him into submission? He doesn't have a clue of what we're doing. In the position I was in, the position Dad was in, he could have killed both of us and him. How does that apply in families? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Again, in our ecclesias and in our natural families, because we're, we're applying this in, in both ways. We're applying this in both ways. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers... And it's interesting. It doesn't say ye mothers. 
But look at what he's telling the fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath. In most cases, the father is the one who's the more disciplinarian in the family. It's probably the leadership aspect. It's the male aspect. And it's probably the way our fathers did us. And we break a young horse. When you run a crew of men, there's a certain amount of control you have to have. But he's telling us the same thing we were talking about in breaking horses. Now, the old-timers, again, a lot of the old-timers broke them strictly with the whip and the spurs. And the horse did what they wanted, but they could really get in a problem and they get in a tight spot. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, when you leave this class, I want you to do word studies. I'm not going to take up our time in this class to do these word studies. I've done them, and I want you to do them. See what you get, and use Strong's. The go from Strong's also, there's a, there's a Thayer's Greek New Testament that's keyed right off of Strong's, right off the of numbers. Get that. Much, it has a lot more full meanings in it. And look at other books, other commentaries, and study it in other areas of the Scriptures. How do we provoke our children to wrath? When, when Becky and I were raising our children, Becky was, was my balance. And I would sometimes be too hard on the kids. More so on my son than on my daughter. And Becky didn't do it right in front of Jonathan, but if I was too hard on him that day, at night, we were together, she would say, you know, you were a little bit hard on him today. So she was my balance and helped me not. And there was times I provoked him to wrath. And it was partly his fault and it was partly my fault. You work side by side, like I was talking earlier. It's not just little encounters through the day. It's, it's a, when you have a family Spend time with them. In an ecclesia, it's, what's happening in our ecclesias is we're getting too separated. We're separated for a lot of different reasons. It's the, our work situation. It's our society. It's problems. It's being too busy. And it's also being not interested enough to take the time. There's a lot of, a lot of reasons. Years ago, when people had neighbors, they visited. Now you can have a neighbor next door and not even know their name in town, and they don't want to know your name. And that's really sad. I was reading a story about a fellow a while back who lived in, in a city, and he was not a Christadelphian, but he was a Bible student, and, and he watched his kids every day just watching TV, and that's all he did. And he said, this is not what it's all about. So he said, okay. That TV is off. So when he'd get home from work, they would spend time together as a family, and, and, and two or three days a week, they would just go out walking around the neighborhood and meeting the neighbors and just walk up and just say hi. Well, first people were like, what are you doing, you know? Well, then the neighbor's kids got to joining them, and then they had this whole crew that would go to the neighborhood visiting. And then everybody started opening up the doors and say, come on in, have a cup of coffee, have a piece of pie. That's the way our ecclesia should be. Inviting each other. We're welcome. The door is open anytime you walk up. 
It doesn't have to be a formal invitation. Trust, compassion, genuine caring, and talking about each other's problems. My dad taught me to break a horse, how to drive a truck, how to know when the cattle needed feed, how to develop a spring in the wilderness, how to build trails up in the wilderness area for the forest service that uh, horsebackers could get in and hikers. How to read the, the Forest Service trailblazes and the, and the ranch trailblazes, which was a, the ranch one was normally just a single blaze on a tree, and the Forest Service was a long one and a short one. And that meant a National Forest Service trail on a tree. How to fix the windmill, how to, how to pull, the, pull the sucker rod out and replace the leathers in the cylinder and, and make it pump water again. He put the love of the outdoors in me. And we did talk about God. I missed him at meetings. And the love of horses. And I got to see sunrise a horseback. And I'm going to go over now to our Heavenly Father. And I want to ask you a question. Why don't you turn over with me to, to, sec, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, and we, as we're reading this verse, I want you to think about what is your, what is your concept of our Heavenly Father. He has a whole list of names that the best study I know of is in the book of Phanerosis written by John Thomas. Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, El, El Shaddai, Yahweh Sabiah. First Timothy, chapter 6, Verses 15 and 16. I'm just taking this out. Which is, which is in his, which in his times, this time about Jesus, shall show, our Messiah is going to demonstrate, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power, everlasting Amen. There is an awe and a separateness to the Father. There is a prescribed way of approach. We approach him through a mediator, and that's his son. But as we study scriptures, his son teaches us more about the Father. And King David teaches about the Father. And Moses teaches about the Father and all the faithful men and women of the Bible. And we learn that God is not only separate from sin, but he also is loving. He disciplines. Behold the goodness and severity of God. My mom taught me these things. She taught me about how to approach God in prayer. And she taught me that you had to make a covenant 
and my mom was there with me when I had to make a decision during the Vietnam War if I was going to go to one of the services or if I was going to serve God. She was there. Should have been a, a brother or my dad, but it was my mom. And who else was there? God. He was with me. And there was a brother through the mail, Brother Ross, who helped me greatly. But as I've grown up, I just want to share my personal concept of our Heavenly Father. And I think I really began to know him personally again when I was a little kid and I moved to the ranch. That's, that's, I mean, Mom had taught me from little bitty, but it was something that meant something to me, my heart. When I'd be out and I'd see a little bitty baby spotted deer there. I remember riding up on two of them one time, sucking their mom, just about 30 feet away. And she, the mom was facing this when the two little ones were there. Their little tails were going just like that, you know, little spots, and they were having their dinner. And my horse was watching it, and I was watching it. And the old doe, directly she turned around her head, and when she saw me, her eyes dilated. She made that little snorting noise. And those two little deer hid in the grass right there. It was real tall grass up on the high country there. In the, in the fall, it would be actually stirrup deep. She hid. She made a little noise, and they hid. And she, and she ran off just enough to try to get me to... I mean, she's thinking of me as a predator. So she's going slow enough. She's trying to get me to follow her and get away from her babies. And so I rode right between her babies. That really made her nervous. But I thought, I didn't want to disturb them, but I was trying to see them. And I knew where they had gone down, and I couldn't see them. God had camouflaged them so well. I, if I had searched, I could have found them. And I was thinking, of how do they get by with the coyotes? You know, the predators are out there. How do they do it? And yet they do. Our Creator made that. And I saw God's love in those things, in His creation. It's, we're told that not a bird falls from the air that our Heavenly Father doesn't know that. If, he, if He's concerned about the birds, then He's concerned about me, you. He cares about you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to put you through the fire. But He's going to love you. And a cold, frosty morning, riding on a cold, frosty morning, hearing a little elk bugling, and, and I was—I remember seeing this one particular one, and, the, and as it was bugled, it, it was just there was just the smoke coming out of his nostrils, and he had his cattle, his cattle, his cows, and he said, cows, and he was herding them to get them away from me, you know. No, I'm here's this intruder, you know. He's herding and taking them up the mountain, like, come on, let's get out of here, ladies. Little birds singing. We're sitting back there a while ago, and there's this, this little red bird out there just having the grandest time on that wire. Probably a lot of you heard him. Just singing away. Isn't that the way we should be as followers of Christ? Rather than, oh, my land, there's something. I don't like the food. I don't like the heat. I don't like the ticks. You know. He was singing. He's in the same place we are. I've seen the wind blow. A little bird will build a nest. 
and the wind comes along and it'll blow that tree of storm come on and, and the, es, the nest will fall out and it'll just be, all his work is just shattered. Now what does that little bird do? Does he go down to the local government office and say, you know, I need a grant. Uh, the, the wind blew my house away. I need, a, you need to declare a state disaster to rebuild my house. He rebuilds it. He, gets, he gathers the same stuff up and goes and gets some more and he puts it a little tighter and rebuilds it, puts it back up there and starts over again. That's what we should do. Not murmur and complain. I do too, but I'm not supposed to. Wild raspberries. Oh man, those were good. A little stream with little mountain trout in it and the beavers making little dams on the ponds up in Bonita. I remember down in the flats one time working some cattle and this time I was afoot, didn't have a horse with me. And I tried to get those old cows out and I'm not near as good as a horse. And I didn't make it. But I sat down, I was huffing and puffing and the sun was just setting. And I looked over there, and, and out in New Mexico we have a thing called an okatia, and it's a tall, spiky plant, and on top of it, it and it's, it's time of year there in the spring, it's this big, beautiful red blossom. And I hadn't even noticed, but just as the sun set, and the, and the, it was shining right across that ridge, the whole ridge just lit up this bright, awesome red, you know. Because I was sitting there thinking, oh man, I, was, I can't get those cows out, that was frustrating, I wasted this three hours, I was grumbling, and God saying, this whole hillside lit up. It's like God saying, hey, no big deal. There's tomorrow. Look at this sunset and cheer up. And it just sent a cold chill down my back. I think working young horses was a fascinating thing to me too because when you started, when you trained him at first, he didn't understand you. He was afraid of you. And then as you, as you started, as you started understanding what you wanted and you saw that you were there to help him, he would help you. And we could cover all kinds of country. I could drag posts on him, could rope a calf on him, pack posts on him, stuff that I couldn't possibly do myself. And it was teamwork between me and that horse. And he liked me and I liked him. And it took gentleness. It took time. It took patience. And it took communication and animals communicate by touch isn't that important in our families and our ecclesias touch we do that we hug each other when we first come to Bible school what about when we have a problem when Becky and I sometimes have a little tiff or a big tiff what is a better way to help that than to walk up and hug her and say I'm sorry I blew it and give her a big old hug. I mean, that melts your wife, guys, and that'll melt you too. What about a brother or sister that we're having a problem with? We said something that offends them. We really didn't even mean to, but we find out about it. A little note in the mail, a little phone call, or a hug. And there's another way we can handle it. We could say, what are you thinking? Why did you get mad about that? 
They're going to get madder. It's our choice. We have choices. My, you got to be kidding. My mom's kitchen. My mom, when I was a kid at the ranch, years later I found out mom didn't really care that much about the ranch. She had a lot of hard work. And she got all the hard duties. She'd make the lunches and stuff for the cowboys and clean the house after we made a mess. And we got to go out and do the riding and see the sunrises and the sunsets. She did some, but not near as much as we did. But she stayed there because we loved it. And she sacrificed. But my mom's kitchen, and I'm thinking about families, homes, and I'm thinking about ecclesias. And I'm thinking about our Heavenly Father. I'm thinking about when he made the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, and he put them there, and they had everything possible they could eat. My mom's kitchen, when we would come home late in the evening, from a hard day of work, there was always supper ready. Always. I mean, if you had a pan of hot biscuits, some venison fried just right, a big old chocolate cake, vegetables from the garden that she had cooked up, peach preserves, oh, and the raspberry preserves. And the raspberries we picked over in Bonita, she'd make raspberry preserves. Or a big old elderberry apple cobbler with the old Jersey's cow cream poured all over it. We need a whole cobbler. I don't know why we weren't like this. But we worked together. The walkers, it's, it's a, my sister's in Australia, and we call, somewhere in the call, we're going to talk about food. That's our love language, food. That's how we told each other we loved each other. We do that today when we invite somebody over. We feed them. There's other types of food, and that's encouragement. We need, we need, there's times we need critique. I think of critique, we never need criticism. I'm differentiating here. I'm differentiating here. I want you to think about now, we, we, we've talked about the positive things. Our ecclesias have problems. I don't know the answers. Our ecclesias are really crumbling all across the country. I'm not trying to be negative. Every ecclesia has its problems. So what are the answers? Now what I want you to do is take that little three by five piece of paper. And I want to ask you a question. And tomorrow I want to take a, a section out and I want to ask you, uh, we want to talk about this thing just like Brother Charles, not grumbling and griping about what's going on, but what am I doing? We have a personal choice and every one of us has talents that God gave us. Matthew 25. <clears throat> Now just keep your finger there. We're going to read something out of these talents in just a moment. 
So the, I'm asking the question. Don't write yet, because there's, there's, there's one little thing I want you to write down. I'm just explaining where I'm going with this. Now, one of the things that really upset the Lord that the children of Israel was, was murmuring. I remember one time up here years ago at the Bible school, people were fussing about the food, the kids mainly. We, I was a kid. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. And then we came in one day, and, and uh, some creative brothers and sisters, I don't know who did it, but had these signs up and said, neither murmur ye as some murmur in the wilderness and were destroyed by the destroyer. That made an impression on me. I'm thinking, wow, I better hush. What are you doing? That's just a question for each one of us to ourselves. It doesn't matter your age. Moses wasn't ready for the job God gave him until he was how old? Hello? I can't hear you. This is a hard... 80. He was 80 years old. I can see lips moving. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a fan. Maybe I'm hard of hearing. So what are you doing? What am I doing personally? Just me, not worrying about anybody else, to uplift, to shore up, to encourage, to discipline, to exhort to strengthen our ecclesia. What is this? Duct tape. What is this? Can you all see it? That's war. Somebody said it just right. That's what we said, war. Balin war. I like that. There's barbed war and Balin war. And Balin war, you take Balin war and duct tape and you can fix Anything. You can fix a broken radiator hose. I know a guy one time, his hitch broke up his trailer. He had enough baling wire. He wrapped it around together and wrapped it around the hitch, hooked it back on his ball like this, a bunch of them, and was pulling his trailer down the road. A state policeman pulled him over and said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? He said, what do you mean? He said, I'm just going home. He said, well, that, that's not safe. And he said, well, if, if I had a cable around there, would it be safe? He said, well, you could probably get on that. I said, he said, what is a cable? And he said, well, it's a little thing that have a bunch of little wires. He said, look at that. That's a cable. He let him go on home. We all need duct tape and bailing wire. I do need duct tape and bailing wire at one time. I need patching up. We all get our feelings hurt. We need encouragement. So learn how to use these two things in our ecclesias, duct tape and bailing wire. Let's put each other back together. Let's don't tear each other apart. Let's put each other back together. So what are you doing? So uplift, shore up, encourage, discipline, exhort, put together, strengthen this ecclesia. What are my talents? Now, I want you to list these on a, on a separate sheet of paper for yourself. What are my talents? Every one of you has talents. Every one of you has talents. Every one of you, every one of you has talents. Listen. Listen to a guy and his talent. He says, you know, verse 25... I was afraid, and I hid thy talent in the earth. Oh, Lord, I don't really have a talent. There's really no use in me doing anything for the ecclesia. I just can't do anything. Oh, poor me. God wasn't very pleased with this fellow. I don't have time to read it, but he says, No, that doesn't cut it. So that's what I'm telling you. That's not allowed. I don't want that on the paper. I want you to tell me, and I want you to limit it down, here's what I want on the paper, which one of my talents is needed most right now in my family, and put it, put family, and in my ecclesia. Your personal family, and maybe extended family, maybe, maybe you're a grandparent. What can I do in my ecclesia to help, to help 
with the things they need help with. So write that down. And it may be other ecclesias as well. Maybe a broader thing in the Lord's vineyard. What do I have to offer? What am I... And, and the next question, personal question, for you, am I doing it? Am I doing it? Am I using it? Yes, we all get frustrated. Yes, we all get angry. Yes, we all want to give up. Yes, sometimes we want to go to another ecclesia. Yes, sometimes we want to go off in the wilderness and never come back. But we can't for very long. We all need to go there a little while, once in a while. So what am I doing? And you can't say, I don't have a talent. So tomorrow we're going to, I would like for you to do that, and, and hopefully, uh, I'm going to put a box up here. Hopefully we will, uh, I would like to collect these. I don't want your name on it. I just want you to put down for you, because I don't want to know who wrote these things. And, and, and so it, it keeps it anonymous. And what I'm doing here is trying to put together things that will actually help our ecclesias. Because the talent is there. I see it. I can't do it. Not any one of us can do it. But all of us together with the Heavenly Father can. I have that clock. Has a, do I have about a minute? One minute. <clears throat> There is a time there is a time to use discipline in ecclesial families. There's in, in Matthew, there's a whole section in Matthew on discipline. The Lord disciplines us. And sometimes there's pain associated with discipline, just like these tools. But on a young horse, my dad taught me to use these very sparingly. And it was discipline. It wasn't a beating. It was discipline. It was, it was teaching him a lesson. And we'll talk again tomorrow. We're going to talk about other boundaries that we put on our children. Here's a set of hobbles. You wonder, what in the world? What's that got to do with kids? Thank you. We got some announcements. Number one, corrections. Brother Mike Kood will be giving his presentation tonight after the lecture as originally planned. Number two, for those interested, Brother Lynn Stark will be playing and singing 
some of his songs in the tabernacle this afternoon at 3.30 after the watermelon feast. The Holy Ghost? Ghost? Holocaust, is that it? The Holocaust video will be shown tonight after services in the tabernacle. Uh, There's a new card on the table. Everybody sign it. Sister Sarah says if you don't, she'll be looking for you. Uh, Lunch today is uh, Jonathan Houston. Max Farnsworth, Maxwell Farnsworth, fine young man. Andrew Slavens, Suzanne Slavens. Supper tonight is Enos Wicker, Syllable Wicker, Trey Williams, and Vicki Huston. Oh, in the back are forms for the tapes on the table back and they brought some more stuff. Now listen. Listen up, listen up here now. This afternoon from 1 to 3.30, you have the opportunity to display your artistic talent. On the pavilion floor down the hill, you will be given all the colored chalk needed for your creation. We want all ages, individuals or families, to go, come and draw something from the scriptures. We ask everyone else to come view the talent and vote for your favorite creation. Prizes will be awarded. Oh, Watermelon Feast, 3 p.m. this afternoon. Man, there's a lot of stuff here.